Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Detour Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Jones, joined as always by four-time National Road Champion, Johnny Chavarro. Johnny, geez, it's almost the end of 2020. It's a shame we're going to have to say goodbye to this year, eh? Yes, I think uh could be our last one before Christmas or will we get one more in? I think we've got one more to go before Christmas, haven't we? Oh, mate, we don't know what we're doing tomorrow, let alone <laughs> next week, but we, we should get off our asses and get one out before the end of the year. But if we do finish on this podcast, I we haven't even recorded the interview yet, but I've just got a feeling, and I say this every episode, it's going to be an absolute belter. Yes, a ripper. Yeah. What can you say about our next guest, John? Tyler Hamilton is one of the uh, uh, great American stars of cycling. Back in the in the early days when Americans weren't so uh, um, well known uh, uh, in, in the cycling world, we had Greg LeMond, of course. I raced against Greg uh, many years earlier. But Tyler uh, was an exciting guy. But, of course, uh, he wrote that amazing uh, um, book uh, that sort of, uh, um, sort of opened up to, to, to everything that was happening, um, the dirty deeds that were happening in cycling, uh, and uh, opened his heart up as well. So it's been an amazing story. A, a brilliant bike rider, you know, winning world-class events, Lies, best on Lies, the toughest classic on the market, uh, to, to win that and uh, um, gold medals in cycling, and to then come out and write that amazing book. Uh, it sounds like a really interesting character. So I'm looking forward to the day, mate. Tyler Hamilton joins us live from Montana. Uh, how are you, Tyler? Yeah, hey, doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on your podcast, you guys. Hey, uh, mate, you, you, I saw an interview with you a couple of weeks ago. You seem like you're in a really good spot at the moment. Um, do you want to give people a bit of an update what you've been up to, particularly in the last couple of years? Oh, man, you know, yes. I mean, it's been a wild kind of roller coaster ride. And, um, yeah, you know, uh, when I exited cycling, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I went through a hard time for some years, kind of kept, kept a low profile and, uh, yeah, I've kind of been, I guess, finding my own again and kind of come to with, with everything that's happened and have been moving on and yeah, life's been good. Uh, you know, life's not perfect, but life's been pretty good. And, um, yeah, I'm happily living here in Missoula, Montana with my, um, girlfriend and she's got two young kids six-year-old and eight-year-old boy boys and uh we have our dog sailor is a golden retriever and yeah it's been pretty fun pretty fun that'll, yeah, all, that'll all keep in, you uh, young mate financial world world now it keeps you young for sure for sure for <laughs> sure yeah yeah and uh, yeah i think kids make you like a better person for sure but you know you got to practice what you preach yeah. And you said you're helping uh, a lot of particularly cyclists in, in the financial world. Um, we've talked about it a few times on this show. Is there a big issue with riders, particularly in that transition period, not thinking about life after cycling, not being sort of set up for that next chapter? You know, I, I think it is a, an issue. You know, it was an issue with me. I didn't think about it. I thought, I thought it was being like unprofessional if I thought about life you know, after cycling. Um, but yeah, I mean, man, I wish I had, I wish I'd at least spent a little bit of time, you know, working on some of my, my skills or working on maybe a new skill set. Um, so yeah, I've helped, uh, to create a foundation now that's going to help professional cyclists in need. And one of the things we're going to work on within this foundation is a career development, you know, both when you're a professional cyclist, 
you know, working on your career in your career then, and also, you know, lining up like young professionals with like mentors, you know, veteran riders and, and also starting to think about, you know, life after cycling, you know, you, there's time in your, in the off season, you know, work a little bit on, uh, on something outside of the sport, the sport of cycling. And, and even during the season, you can sp you have time, you know, in front of a computer and you have, t you have, you have plenty of time when you're resting and, uh, and there's plenty of time to do some, you know, work on a skill set you already have or a skill set that you're, you know, maybe um, maybe someday you'd like to be involved in, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I when I when my career ended, yeah, I was I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I kind of uh, struggled for some time. You know, I started a little coaching company early on and I still have that today, but I I didn't know what else I wanted to do, really. And, uh, you know, I did some public speaking kind of around the world did that you know because of this book that i wrote and but you know i was struggling i was like what's the next chapter and uh you know i did re i was in real estate for about a year like just um residential real estate here in missoula montana but you know that wasn't my thing and um yeah i'm in the financial world now it's been a lot of fun and steep learning curve but you know i studied economics back in college it was my plan was to kind of be in the business world in the sort of finance world and Wow, you know, I'm almost 50 years old and, you know, here I am, you know, new, new <laughs> career. Yeah, but it's been fun. It's fun, you know, but I'm starting out at the bottom and working my way up. And, you know, I like learning and, you know, challenging yourself. And Yeah, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. But, yeah, you know, with my feet on the ground, you know, firmly on the ground. Yeah. What are all those certificates up behind your head there, Tyler? What are, what are they? Oh, the, these are... Uh, Tibetan prayer flags, you know, it was during COVID. I was like, I had this just a completely uh, blank backdrop. And I, I had these flags in my garage. So yeah, I like them. Yeah. <laughs> nice uh, shot in the dark there, John. Certificate. <laughs> Certificate. Um, yeah, totally. yeah. yeah, there's my diploma from. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Say a little prayer for me, too. Yeah, yeah right. totally, totally. Yeah. The yellow <laughs> one's the extra smart one. Well done, mate. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Do you, do you think, um, Ty, that the one of the biggest issues is is what you identify as when you're a bike rider? You know that is your identity. You're a professional rider. So when you retire, you sort of essentially lose your identity. I mean, it must have been even tougher for you with the situation that you went through to go from this sort of massive highs to these massive lows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, you know, again, it was a it was a wild ride. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I feel like, you know, when I left the sport, my head was, you know, on a swivel. It was just spinning and, you know, I didn't really know which way it was up. And yeah, you know, I just kind of had to sit through it and, you know, slowly put one foot in front of the, the other and, you know, never give up hope and keep, keep, you know, swinging and, you know, missing a lot. But, you know, you keep, you keep fighting, right. And you keep, uh, you know, working to, to get better and, you know, I, I, by no means have I made it, but you know, here I am. You know, working my way up in this new in this new world, and you know, it's been fun, and I like giving back, and I I know I've helped a lot of people thus far, and you know, that's uh, that feels good. Iffy, yeah, I was just gonna say, uh, uh, when when you first started out uh, in, uh, in cycling, how old were you? I was gonna ask the question when you started. Um, riding the bike. Let's see, I cycled a little bit, you know, as a downhill ski racer growing up. Growing up. Um, so I cycled a little bit in like the summertime to keep my legs in shape, but 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I really didn't consider myself a cyclist till uh, my like sophomore year in college. Um, yeah, I was training with the, our university ski team, um, the University of Colorado. And um, yeah, we were dry land training. And ironically, we're on mountain bikes and uh, they had us doing all these hard efforts, kind of racing each other. And yeah, I went over the handlebars and land on my head and broke my back. Yeah, I broke my back and took me out, you know, up to, you know, ever since I was like seven years old, I was, you know, a ski racer. And all of a sudden, I think that was in like October. So, you know, the ski season was, you know, over for me. I took ski racing pretty seriously. And then uh, when I got out of bed, like six or eight weeks later, they said I could ride a road bike. <clears throat> so that's, uh, you know, that's when I, you know, I couldn't ski race that winter. So I kind of took, uh, and I was, I'm pretty bummed out about that and so i kind of took my aggressions out on the bike and you know i had no idea but boulder colorado was a huge cycling town huge huge and you know today it's just massive and you know i felt i was very very fortunate so you know i, I was out there on the roads outside of boulder and you know i was just running into top amateurs and professional riders and so it was a great great place to learn how to ride a bike and um great great way to you know great place to to be to to be, to develop into a professional bike rider. So yeah, I joined the University of Colorado cycling team and, you know, I won a collegiate national championship and, you know, the rest is kind of history. And then I just kept climbing the ranks and I climbed the ranks pretty fast. And, you know, before I know it, I, before I knew it, I was on the start line in the tour. So, and, and so like, that whole, insane. that whole process sounded like it happened pretty quick in terms of transitioning to cycling. Yeah, so for me, you did, didn't really yeah. have, you didn't have much of a chance yet to set some massive goals. Was it all just sort of, we'll just see what happens, you know? Yeah, I mean, every 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 month was like, oh, this is great. This is great. I kept kind of climbing the ladder. And yeah, year to year, that I kept saying to myself, you know, this is great. You know, I won a collegiate national championship. I think it was in 93, 94. I was on the U.S. national team traveling kind of all over the world and all these big, huge races and, you know, competing with the professionals in some races and, uh, yeah, 95, then 95, I was a pro, a pro, kind of a domestic pro, you know, racing mostly here in the States and, you know, maybe like 20 to 25% in, in Europe. Did that for like two years. And then the team, the U.S. Postal team took it, they got a bump up in their budget and we became a European-based team in 97. So, so you know, that's, where I, that's when I went over the pond. That's when it became really serious and, you know, things changed and, so yeah. I thought I'd uh, that was a question I really want to ask you. The early days of US Postal, you suddenly you're over in Europe. You didn't sort of you were sort of not laughed at by the Europeans, but you weren't yeah, we were, thought yeah, of we were. in the same bit. class as them exactly. And so and it was pre lance So what was it like US Postal then in those early days? Quite a few Americans on that yeah. team, mainly. Yeah, Americans. I mean it was fun. It was kind of like us against everybody else, and I mean. I, I understood that they were kind of laughing at us and, you know, you couldn't really speak the language, you know, you, you, back then I couldn't really handle my bike very well. I was still pretty new at it and didn't really understand how to, you know, maneuver my way around the Peloton. I was still really gr green and uh, yeah, you know, but it was fun. It was a challenge and, you know, you people that you read about in the, in the cycling magazines there, you know, there you are like riding next to them. And, you know, that was a, you know, kind of like a dream come true. Although I never really dreamt of it because it kind of happened so fast, but it was like, wow, 
here I am riding next to these, you know, top, you know, world-class bike riders. I mean, you know, what, what am I doing here? I felt, I felt like, I, I, felt like I, I felt like I didn't belong really, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, you know, luckily in 90, you know, by, by 97, you know, we, we started bringing on, you know, European based riders, you know, big name riders who, you know, big veterans of the sport. And, you know, they kind of sh showed you the rope, so to speak, and you, you learned from them. And yeah, it was a, so it was, no, it, was a no, lot of fun. it was a lot of fun climbing the ranks. Those those early years, those gritty years, were kind of the, I think the, the funnest. Sorry to interrupt you there, Johnny. No, no, I was just going to say that ninety seven Tour de France was your first, uh, your first, and U.S. Postal's first. Uh, who yeah. was the uh, um, the number one rider? Who was the the, the kingpin of, of the I U.S. Postal? I think in ninety seven, I think it was this Frenchman by the name of J.C. Robin. Yep. I, I think he, yep. yep. Uh, I think that was 97. Yeah, we had right. Uh, he was in the top 10 that year, I believe. I've got to be honest with you, mate. I've never heard of him. <laughs> look him up. Look him up. I will. Google him. I think he was top 10. My, my cycling top knowledge pre 2004 is a bit rusty. Okay. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Right. JC Robin. Yeah, good guy. Okay. And he had a teammate, another French teammate called Pascal Dermé, who was his, like, you know, his, his guy just would drag him around. They yeah. never left each other's side. Yeah, great teammate, great, you know, domestique type rider. So so what was it like when you found out that they'd signed Lance and he came across the postal? Did things instantly change? Um, I wouldn't say they instantly changed, but it was obviously super exciting. You know, I mean, you know, Lance was just a, you know, a huge hero of mine and just, you know, I think a hero of the whole real Peloton. And, you know, to have him come to our team was just um, – yeah, this is just a really great opportunity for everybody. Uh, but, you know, early on, it was uh, he was coming back from cancer. So there are a lot of question marks, you know, uh, he struggled in his first spring coming back. I know that. And then but he finally uh, kind of got his feet underneath him and had a good like second half of his season. And uh, it was really that next year, 99, when things changed, it was after his uh, his, he had a really good ride in the Vuelta. I think he was fourth overall. And then I think he had a good world championship. And uh, after that, it was like, okay, game on, game on. Yeah. Was that a real, like, different approach in terms of we're going to go for the tour and it's all chips in and we're going to do recon and prep that people have never seen before? And is it disappointing, yeah. I suppose, in retrospect, when everyone talks about the doping and stuff, they go, oh, well. You doped. That's that's why you won. Yeah, yeah. But they don't yeah. know all the other stuff that went on behind the scenes in the prep, particularly for that tour. Yeah, I mean, of course they have to. You know, the doping did exist. So you can't, um, you know, neglect that or push that to the side. But yeah, we did do a lot of other things for sure. That's absolutely for sure. Yeah, the recon was you know insane. Other teams weren't doing anything like that. Uh, the amount of studying we were doing, yeah, and the the training everything i felt like at that time i feel like today in th these days like everybody knows how to do everyone's doing that like the the standard is so much higher i think in today's peloton than you know back in 1999 but there was only you know we, we were training with power then not a whole lot of riders were doing that uh you know lots of wind tunnel testing not a whole lot of riders were doing that you know and lucky us because it was like you know it was free speed free you know and free ethical speed too you know mm. So, and also, yeah. Lance really we did, yeah, we did changed. 
We did our homework. Lance changed a lot of things, especially uh, um, his um, the way he pedaled. You know, I mean, he, he took it back. I think Charlie Gall back in the 50s used to do that. No one had done it since where he just uh, cha yeah. changed that completely. Yeah. yeah. Did, did, yeah. He, did he convince all you guys to do a, a bit more of that as well? Uh, yeah, he did. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was the leader of the team. So, you know, typically, uh, you know, it, it, uh, the knowledge spreads down from the top and yeah, that's the way he was training. That's, you know, how he was, uh, getting coached. And so yeah, most of the guys on the team started riding with higher cadence, honestly, before by 98, I never even remembered worrying about what my cadence was, you know, and then 99, I remembered, you know, looking at my cadence, like religiously, you know, yeah. all the time. And, uh, you know, trying to always keep it on at whatever, a hundred on the flats and, and uh, you know maybe ninety on a climb. You know, ideally when you're not you know separate from intervals. Sometimes you do big gear work like that, or, or different cadence yeah. works. But yeah, keeping a high cadence and uh, yeah, I think it made a difference. You know, uh, from what I've seen um, with docos and and the likes, it, it seemed like Lance rode really well angry, and it seemed yeah. like there was a lot of us against them, and let's sort of really stick it up. And there was the whole bad news bears mantra with that team was there what was it like on the little i mean you guys didn't have the big bus back then but what was the mood like in that 99 tour yeah i mean we were the bad news bears yeah i mean we had two rented camper bands you know one i think like five guys were in one maybe four in the other or something like that um you know driving through the pyrenees of the alps you know it would just every time you go around a corner it would just rattle all stuff would rattle from one side to the other <laughs> It was pretty funny. Yeah, we call it Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, I think. And, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it was us against the world a little bit. You know, they, I remember the media back then were saying, was saying, you know, we, Lance is a strong rider, but he doesn't have a strong team behind him. So that definitely fired us up. You know, most of us were unproven, you know, but I think we, you, there's something to say about the strength of having the yellow jersey, you know. On one of your teammates' backs, you know, you I think you do ride a little bit harder, you dig a little bit deeper, and you know, you're that much more motivated. You know, for all I knew, that was my one and only opportunity to, to you know, to ride, you know, with someone on my team wearing the yellow jersey. So, all right, Johnny, it's that time of the show. Give Mitchelton a plug, open up the shoulders, mate. Easy to do, mate. Easy to do. One of Australia's favourite wineries and a place of escape. There it is, the beautiful Mitchelton Winery, an absolutely amazing Goulburn River. Experience the history and the beauty and the serenity of the Goulburn Valley at your own pace. Looking over the vineyards from the iconic tower, staying at the new hotel, relaxing by the pool, recharging in the day spa where you can Look. quiet the mind and uh, wind yeah, the body. Right. <laughs> Read this. <laughs> I can't get the pictures to smoothly go over, but if you're listening to this podcast, it'll be even better. Go. <laughs> Rediscover that. Uh, do you want me to start again? No, keep going. No, just, okay. It, <laughs> it always okay. cuts to your face. I don't know why. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Recharge you today, Spar, where you can quiet the mind, unwind the body, rediscover the balance in a setting of peace and harmony. Explore the seasonal menu at the Muse Restaurant, where local produce offers worlds of flavour. Sample our seasonal menu with all wines perfectly paired. Stop by the Provador and two of the sellers, and of course, taste their highly awarded signature wines. 
always to be enjoyed. Taste the craft and the care in every bottle at the cellar door. Mitchell has become a very popular venue for weddings and to celebrate special occasions. And there's a happy couple right there. And you have to have a visit downstairs, the Art, Aboriginal Art Gallery. It is a must. It's world-class with a huge range of amazing pieces from a variety of the nation's best artists. And, of course, I think we'll get a glance at the $10,000 Land Cruiser with the $2.7 million paint job. 2.7. Good right stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, here's a quick word from our great mates at Bike Exchange. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs, semi-amateurs, and pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides. Now, the one thing that really stood out of your secret race book, I can still remember the day when I read it and it just came out. I got it like a week before the hard copy. I think Apple hey. had some deal on or whatever and this was around the time 2012 when there was all this sort of we just still wanted to believe in santa claus you know we still oh, yeah. were like please come on for some reason just it's got to be not true but then when i read that book i was like oh no, no there's such detail in this and the part where i felt my heart rate go to about 190 beats was when you talked about motorman and that was the part where i was like okay that's it that's how they did it you know was there Looking back now, and particularly with the Festina stuff that happened in 98, yeah. was there a part of when you guys were, were doing it and, and there was this going on, was there a part in the back of your head going, shit, this could go really bad if we get caught? Or was it like, no, well, this is what we're doing and, and see, see what happens? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was uh, super nervous about the whole thing, the whole thing. Um but there you are. This is what the plan is. It's like stay cool in the pocket and just like get it done. That was kind of mm. the way the way I looked at it. Like, okay, this is crazy, you know, especially after what happened the year before. But, you know, that's why we had this secret plan. You know, it was never on the team, you know, for a very short amount of time. Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was super dangerous. It could have been really ugly. And, you know, we're lucky that we that we got out of that unscathed. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah, I remember uh, that that '99 uh, tour very well. I, yeah. I covered my first tour to France as a journo in '91, and I come wow. back in '98. And I and this year was the first one I've missed since since uh, since then. But uh, I, I can remember watching it and thinking, you know, this is amazing that Lance has been able to come back from you know, his cancer and uh, and uh, and be competitive in the tour. I never. At no stage in the early part of that tour did I think Lance would win. 
When did you guys really start to believe that he could win it? Yeah, um, that's a great question, Johnny. You know, I think it was after the first mountain stage. I can't remember what stage that was, but it was, you know, probably 10 days into the tour. You know, Lance had done well in the prologue, and then I think the opening big longer time trial he did well. And it wasn't until, like, you know, we had a good mountain stage, you know, and the team also not only did Lance do well, but the team rode strong and, and showed that, you know, we were stronger than what than what everybody else said. Uh, that's when I started really believing. You know, up until then, up until the getting through that first mountain stage, I was thinking maybe maybe he could be on the podium. But yeah, and it was an exciting time for all of us. What was the feeling like going into Paris um, in that '99 tour? Like the bad news bears, like he's got yellow. I mean, it just must have been incredible. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I think I had goosebumps. Every time I finished in Paris, which was, uh, I finished seven out of eight tours, I had goosebumps, you know. I always get goosebumps going into Paris. But yeah, I mean, that was pretty special, you know, coming into the Champs-Élysées with, you know, the blue postal train on the front. That was pretty, that was pretty special. And, you know, the last guy in our group being, being Lance in yellow, you know, that was pretty cool. And after, you know, his story... Obviously, his story coming back from cancer was, you know, it was massive, not only in the States, but really worldwide. So did the did the hysteria around Lance like it just absolutely exploded after that win? I mean, he's doing Letterman and all these sort yeah. of things. Did you expect that level of hysteria, particularly back in America? I didn't really know what to expect, but I mean, it was it was probably yeah, bigger than I Bigger than I maybe thought. Yeah, but yeah, before, I mean, that really changed his life forever. I mean, he was never really the same person after it was, you know, after winning the 99 tour, he was pretty much a celebrity and, you know, walking around any random town was difficult with Lance, you know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, a big surprise. You know, I mean, I went, I remember, uh, let's see, in the off season after the 97 season, you know, I'd just done my first tour de France and, you know, riding, I was living back in my uh, home state of Massachusetts. And uh, I remember people honking at me and saying, you know, get off the road, you know, you cyclist. And then two, <laughs> year, two years later, you know, same time in, in the off season riding and people just, you know, yelling out the window, like, you know, go postal. You know, there was a big change, a big change, a big change. A big, yeah. You know, a lot of people in, you know, 97 were saying, you know, ride on the sidewalk. You know, mm. that's where you belong. Yeah. Did you, so, how did the, the celebrity status change for you, given that you were part of this historic team that won the tour in 99? Yeah. I, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I try to keep my feet on the ground. I don't know. My, my brother and my sister, my parents didn't look at me any differently or mm. know, my friends, you know, obviously I think my name got maybe a little bit bigger in the sport of cycling, but I don't, I don't know. I, I, I tried to keep my feet on the ground and, but obviously, uh, you know, with Lance's success, with the team's success, came, you know, more attention, more, you know, coverage in the media, yada, 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 and, you know. But, yeah, it also came with, uh, you know, other teams expressing interest as well. Like, hey, you know, you had a good tour. Like, you know, you could be a team leader someday. You know, after the 99 tours, when I started getting, started getting an interest from other teams and some people were telling me that I could be, you know, a really good bike rider. So, was was Lance protective of his almost like his wolf pack 
and his key guys. And, you know, he realizes that he, he can't let you guys of your sort of caliber go. Yeah, I think he was protective. I think he was protective. And then, uh, but he also didn't like you, you know, I don't think he really enjoyed hearing that you were talking to other teams. And, you know, he didn't like that. So, you know, you had to be a little bit care. You know, Lance has a, had a challenging personality at times. And, um, yeah, you know, you didn't really want to get on his bad side. That's for sure. And, you know, you know, when that happened, it was typically best to kind of move on. You know, and that's, that's kind of what I did. Yeah. But, you know, he, so he was a fighter. He was a fighter. That guy, I mean, he loved mm. to win. He liked, I mean, he had to win, you know. I mean, for me, second and third and fourth place was great. You know, but for Lance, that was, you know, he didn't like it. He didn't like it. And, uh, was there, it was about winning. Was, about was winning. there any parts of that ESPN doco series that you learn a little bit more about the psyche of Lance that you could join a yeah. few more dots, particularly those earlier days when you were with him? Yeah, you know, I didn't know about his uh, like his stepfather who who beat him. You know, I didn't know mm. about that. Uh, he never talked about that. Um, but when I, you know, that made me really sad to see that. And you know, I don't know what, you know, I grew up with a fantastic mother and father and. You know, I don't know what that would have been like for me as a kid to go through. So, you know, you know, I just, I, what I know you, 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 uh, you can't live in somebody else's shoes. So you can't, it's hard to make a judgment on somebody else, you know, when you haven't been through, you know, what they've been through. So, you know, that opened my eyes a lot. I didn't like seeing that. I didn't like seeing that at all. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I think Lance has, you know, come a long ways and I think he's, uh, I think his probably feet are pretty close to the ground right now. And I think he's, um, I, I, you know, I think he's probably a better person today than, than he's ever been. Hmm. So you, you wrote, you had three tours with, uh, with Lance, I think. Um, uh, yeah, let's see. Yeah. Three, three. Yeah. And so you obviously left because you wanted to have a, to see you go yourself, you left to, to go CSC. Um, but, was it just that, or were there other issues in the team that you? Yeah, you know, I think I was ready. I helped Lance win his first three tours in '99, 2000, 2001. I think it was just time to kind of make a change and you know something new and different. I didn't want, I didn't want to look back in my career and ever say, never and say like I, I wish I, I didn't try to you know try something different, go to another team. And I was getting some opportunities with other other teams to kind of you know, ride more as a team leader and you know that's what that's what happened with you know bjarn reese and csc you know they uh they had a rider laurent gelabert on the team um but he brought me he brought me into the team and you know, gave me uh you know full reign on the giro d'italia in 2002 and you know that was my first opportunity to be a team leader in a grand tour so that was great. Yeah, you, yeah, right, you I had, got, yeah, I got yeah, second, and that was second. awesome. Yeah, Maybe that was yeah. a highlight of my career at that point. You know, it was just awesome. Yeah. It was, it was fun. And the did just you beautiful, find beautiful race? How did you find the difference in the in the structure and the and the ambience of the CSC team com, uh, compared to US Postal? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a nice change. I think. I mean, I had some great years on on Postal team, and you know, awesome awesome memories. But I, I was, I think, I'm ready for a change of pace. You know, I. I um, yeah, I, I like the way Bjorn Reese kind of took a couple steps back and 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 did things a little bit differently. You know, I mean, starting from like you know the winter boot camp, you know, going. Mm. I think my first uh, my first December training camp. Yeah, you know, in December we went to Sweden and like did like and slept outdoors for I don't know five or six days and 
<laughs> and uh, did all sorts of team building things. And I thought that was great. We had, you know, I think we had like 25 or 26 riders on the team and we had like 14 different nationalities. Um, yeah, we, I mean, that was the first, uh, let's see, the, the next year, 2003, we used Cervelo bikes, which were, you know, all the Europeans call them like tri triathlon bikes because they were, you know, had a funny looking shape to them. We used speed play pedals. We got laughed at about those, you know, these lollipop bike pedals. And we had these aerodynamic wheels called zip, zip wheels. And uh, we got laughed at about those too. And like, you know, we were, our bikes were, you know, by far the best bikes in the Peloton and no one knew it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's Bjorn Reese for you. For you. He yeah, looked outside the box a little bit and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, that was a fun team to be on. Just the Danes are great. Danes are um, just fun to be around, you know, they, they take them, they, they work hard, take themselves seriously, but not too seriously. Was Brian Nygaard uh, at CSC when you were there? <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Nice guy. He was our <laughs> PR guy. How did you PR get along guy. with Nygaard? I got along with him. Great. Yeah. He was good. He helped me out a lot. Yeah. yeah. Do you know, how do you know Brian? Oh, he worked at Green Edge with us back no, in the day. Dan, 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 Dan lived with him for a little while. He oh, couldn't really? handle Dan. He threw Dan four out after four days. <laughs> okay, okay. Wow, well, I urinated with the door open, and apparently in Denmark, that's a no-go. That was a deal-breaker. So that's great. Kicked me out. <laughs> um, what, what were the major differences with, say, Bjorn style to Braniel style? Um, let's see. I, yeah, I mean, that's hard. That's a hard one. I'd that's say, what we do on the detour, mate. Curlies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Curlies, curlies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Bjorn took a more of like a zen-like approach to everything. And, you know, a lot of times there weren't a lot of words said, but he just sit there and take it all in. And mm. um, I don't know. Maybe a little less stressful, you know. Uh, I don't know. 90, I mean, we had Lance on the team, and he started winning right away. And so that – brought us a lot of pressure and so yeah i mean johan was you know was johan was expected to win so you know he put a lot of pressure on his uh, on his riders you know for sure and so did, yeah did you have to I'd tell say the I'd probably a little bit more fun on the csa maybe a little bit more fun what was did that you have to break, did you have to break the news to the postal guys that you're leaving the team or was it break up or dump lance via text <laughs> yeah no i i told them it was during the tour in 2001 yep yep yeah and then we they did a you know made a press announcement or something to make it look and did like, they did they to take make, it to well? make it look really to make it look really friendly you know so, yeah but yeah i mean the relationship changed after that you know we became we went from teammates to to competitors from that yeah. day on yeah, yeah. And take, yeah I don't, take us I, our relationship changed completely after that <laughs> take, take us through yeah. the the 2003 tour de france because there's some epic stories to come out of that um, particularly relating to your teeth. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I went down on what state? They had a, there was a mass crash on what stage one? It was like it was in the field sprint, and um, yeah, I think a Frenchman, a small little Frenchman, went up against uh, this tall Spanish guy, and they uh, they both went down, and it created a domino effect across the peloton. And, and I was a part of that carnage and, um, yeah, I, I, uh, fractured my collarbone. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, decided to keep going, 
because it was still a, it was still together in one piece. It wasn't like uh, fully displaced or anything. Mm. So I had a fracture, and yeah, yeah. But I had I was in the form of my life, so I, you know, they were gonna have to pull me off my bike for me to stop. So I just kind of took it one day at a time, and you know, when I was in the hospital, you know, after getting the my collarbone X-ray, they you know this French doctor said you know. Maybe it's possible if you can handle the pain. Maybe it's possibly continues. So I took that as like, okay, I'll I'll try until I say I can't go anymore. I'll keep trying. And the pain and yeah, was so yeah, hard like, that you just gritting down. I ground my teeth. Yeah, yeah. All these teeth are fake. Caps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know, and that, yeah, um, but that's what you do when you're young and you know not very smart. You know, just that's what you do. Young right? and stupid, as they say. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, I, yeah. I, it's yeah. I'll just say, I, I had a uh, say, they call it a green stick fracture. I came back from yeah, yeah. Europe with that and rode one of our our long races called the Grafton Wind Varel with a green stick fracture and got, and got through it. But it it hurts, but it's not like as you say, the bones not apart, so it's just. A bit of pain, but it's not not. It's a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But I was also, the, you know, in that tour, I was lucky. You know, I mean, I still had a good tour, but you know, the first week it could have, you know, if there was crosswind and super, you know, tough stages, I, I, I think I would have been, you know, off the back. But luckily, the stages were pretty controlled, and we had good weather, and I was able to kind of float at the back of the peloton for the first week and just save my energy and kind of recoup and. And, and by the time that, we hit the mountains, I was, you know, not ready to go, but more ready to go than, you know, what's the, that, Johnny? That, oh. I was going to say that, that tour, um, IMAX were doing a big feature on you. Um, and it was all about the human brain. They had these massive cameras uh, and oh yeah, yeah. What, what, what was their reaction when you crashed out on, on stage one? Oh yeah. Oh, they not were, crashed they, out, but crashed. Uh, oh yeah. Well, they thought it was all over and they were pretty upset, I think, but. I think they were happy that I continued, uh, but yeah, there was no pressure on them for me to continue. That's that's for sure. And yeah, I just I just I didn't know what was going to happen. I just took it really one day at a time. Or I don't mm -hmm. know. Even like the first uh, the next day after the crash, I just you know, I mean they brought my bags to the feed zone thinking that that was it. And yeah, you know I just take it really a few kilometer at a time. And you know if if it was too hard, I, that was you know had a good reason to stop. Mm. Iffy, no, nah, but I mean, it, it, that, so that was 2004. That was 2003, yeah, three, 2003, yeah, sorry, yeah, three. That, so that was your last year with CSC. I thought I thought you were with Phonak that time. So yeah, 2004 and, was yeah, your first with Phonak. Then I went to Phonak, yeah. We, we, yeah, we do really solid research on the detour, mate, if you haven't picked up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I had it written down here, but I just got a little confused. Uh, I, hey, yeah. you know, it's a long but, but, time ago. It's a long time ago. But, but you were, I mean, you won a stage with a busted collarbone, mate. I mean, I don't know how many riders have done that at the Tour de France, that, that from the 2003 Tour. Is it you look back at your highlights of your career? I mean, that'd have to be up the pointy end. Yeah, that was nice. I mean, the Tour de France is the Tour de France, and it was nice to, to get that opportunity to, to win a stage. But I don't know. I, other than talking to you guys about it right now, I don't really think about it much. Or, or, yeah. you know, gloat about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it was John, we'd probably hear it every episode. <laughs> of course. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, so you went to Phonak in 04, and I remember um, ex excerpts from your book. Um, Lance really saw you as a threat, particularly that Dolphin A when you ran second. I think it was like, uh oh, 
it's a chance I'm not going to win the tour this year. Um, did these mind games really start dialing up around that time? Yeah, I think they were starting to dial up there. And I think our, our relationship was starting to get a little bit tense at that point. Yeah. Um, mm. That in, uh, yeah, the 04 Dolphin A, yeah, for sure. I don't think you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a good sign of your form. It doesn't mean you're going to, you know, if you have a good Dolphin A, it doesn't mean you're going to have a good tour. But, you know, typically you want to be closer to the, to the pointy end of the group there in the uh, Dolphin A if, if you want to have a good tour. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he was happy. Mm. How I was doing, I don't know. And uh, obviously, um, you know, 2004 is a, is a really tough period for you with everything that yeah. happened. You know, you obviously won the Olympics and subsequently, did they end up taking the gold medal off you in the end? Yeah, I, mean, I, well, I, know, I, I, I gave it back in uh, like 2010 or 2011. Yeah. I always what 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 is the process there? It's like a FedEx guy knocks on your door and says, "I gave I'm it ahead to my good, I gave I gave it to my good friend Jim Capra who delivered it. I think to the USOC. Yeah, yeah. They I don't. Then I think it went to the IOC and then I think it went mm. to uh, back over to Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that that yeah, whole that whole period there. I mean, it must have been so tough mentally to go through what you'd been through. Um, what what sort of stuff can you pass on to people about learning how to get out of those those darker periods? Oh yeah, uh, I mean, number one, I wish I had told the truth from you know from the beginning. You know, I I I, uh, I hid the truth for many different reasons. You know, for myself, for my team, for the the sport of cycling. You know, for my old you know fraternity mate, so to speak, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was still deeply ingrained in cycling and in the, in the omerta of cycling, you know, the code of silence. So, so yeah, I, I kept my mouth shut and thought I was doing it for a, a good reason. And, but it was hard. It was hard. I, I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. I would never wish that upon anybody. No. But you know, I just kept whatever. I kept putting one foot in front of the other. Just I don't know. Had some really dark days and dark periods in my life and. But I don't know, you know, my, you know, um, my my parent, my family always told me, my 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 grandfather always just, you know, keep getting up and put one foot foot in front of the other, and you know, eventually good things will happen again, you know. But it took a while. It took a while, and you know, yeah, I had to deal with that. I had to deal with a lot of different, you know, fallout from a lot of different, a lot of different angles. Yeah. So, so yeah. Tyler, t- take us through. The, the moment, like you, okay, there was a lot of shit going on. Things were getting, coming out, things, you're getting exposed in different areas. What brought you to the stage of saying, you know what, I'm just going to tell the complete truth and then we'll move forward yeah. from there. What, what actually brought that on? Yeah, that was in, uh, I mean, it's sad to say, but it was a, a federal investigation that really, it was like, you know, a hammer to the head. And when that happened, it, there was a federal investigation to the U.S. Postal Team and Lance Armstrong. And uh, they asked me to come in and talk, you know. And Initially, they asked me to come in and talk, like, voluntarily. It's called, like, a proffer. But I was like, voluntarily? Nope, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not, you know, I was, I was, my head was, you know, I was hard-headed. I was like, I'm not telling, I'm not telling the, the, all the secrets. And, uh, 
So, you know, I got subpoenaed by, you know, by the federal government. So, which is basically forced, it's forced me to come in and tell the truth. And if they can prove me, if I lie and they can prove me wrong, I could go to jail. So, you know, that was the moment where I was like, you know, I backed up and I backed up and I backed up and I was basically at the edge of the cliff and it's either jump or tell the truth. And, you know, I was like, I'm going to tell the truth. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I told the truth for seven hours in front of a grand jury in Los Angeles, California. And, you know, the rest is history. It was like, yeah, I knew exactly what I was going to do when I finished, when I walked out of that courtroom, you know. And how important was it for you just to go a full cleanse to tell the whole truth, the whole story, rather than you would have seen a lot of guys since sort of tell little parts yeah. of it and not just yeah. do a full sort of rinse? And do you feel that you're always chasing your back if you don't do that? Yeah, I mean, it was time for me. You know, I'd been battling with the truth, you know, or covering up the truth for for a long time at that point. I was just, I was, I think I was ready for it. And I, I knew, I knew... Yeah, I just knew it had to happen. I, you know, I, I, I had no idea it was going to come from me, but I knew the truth needed to come out. You know, the sport, you know, from when I arrived in, at the, in the big leagues in 97, you know, to the point I got caught there, like, you know, I, I was always, I was like, this is way too big of a secret for it not to come out because, you know, everybody was in the know. There were a lot of us, you know, doing this and, you know, it was a big secret. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. And, uh, yeah, I was always afraid it was going to come out. But all of a sudden now it's like, you know, it's me, me there in that position. And, you know, after so, yeah, I told the truth that in front of the grand jury. And, that, you know, when I walked out of the courtroom, I knew, you know, my life moving forward was about being honest and truthful and, you know, what, whatever that next step was going to be. I didn't know what was going to happen next, but, you know, you um, know. Yeah, eventually I wrote a book about a book about it. That was hard. Who was, that was hard. Who was the toughest people to talk to about it once you committed to telling the truth? Was it your family or you know close friends? Like once they found out. Yeah, you know, tell my um, tell my parents and my brother and sister that was super hard. That was, I mean, that was yeah, that was awful. Um, but you know, when I explained it from the beginning to the end and how how it all happened. You know, they understood. They didn't, they were disappointed, obviously, but they could kind of understand how that could have happened, you know. Um, I don't know. When I talk to, I, you know, I try to share my story as, you know, to the younger generation. So I, you know, I'll speak in front of school sometimes. And, you know, kids are, you know, telling the truth to the kid, kids are stars, you know, because they're like, you know, why'd you do such a stupid thing, you know? Mm. And, they, and they have a good point, yeah. But yeah, you know, um family members was hard and then also you know i didn't want to hurt anybody else i didn't want to hurt anybody else with you know um with the truth coming out but I, but i know i did i know i did i know i affected other people's lives you know, negatively but but hopefully it helped the sport you know in some in some way you know I'm, i mean i'm glad the truth came out if not i mean if if, if the sport didn't clean up, you know, it was heading in a bad direction. That's for sure. You know, and I didn't start it in 97 and Lance didn't start it in whatever, 1993, you know, mm. it had been going on for a long time. They let it get to that point And, you know, we were all a part of it and it's hard to point the finger at one person or one organization, but it was, uh, it had been going along for a long, long time and people, you know, 
people just kept looking the other way and it was a it was gonna eventually explode and and it did well I, I, as an old pro cyclist i gotta say of course nothing ever happened back in my day <laughs> but yeah but, but i mean it, of course it's it's been uh, there in the sport but i gotta tell you i believe that 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 the whole the whole structure that you're just talking about when you came out we're all going to open up when Lance finally admitted to it was the best thing that ever happened to cycling. Cycling changed more dramatically than any other sport ever has. A complete 180 degree turn. You suddenly had youngsters coming into sport, talented youngsters who believed they could win clean. Before that, they didn't believe that. They just thought, well, you know, yeah. we're probably going to have to go down this dark path. I didn't know what it was, but uh, that was the feeling. So I think it, it, it was the, you know, it's it cleansed the soul of cycling. I think uh, I really do. Well, that's mm. nice to hear. That's nice to hear. Hopefully it plays some part. Hopefully it played a part. And yeah, I mean, you know, I'll continue. To, I love the sport of cycling. I mean, there were some years where I had to turn my back to it and just kind of step away from it. And, Man, I couldn't even put on Lycra, man. For a couple of years there, I was just, I had to get away from it. And, uh, but I love it so much. It's beautiful. It's such a beautiful sport. I love watching it. I love talking about it. I love, you know, I love that we're in a bike boom now. You know, I love this gravel stuff that's happening. You know, I mean, I feel like the sport, the, you know, all three grand tours this summer were, or this, you know, late summer and fall were so exciting. I feel like, yeah, the sport's more exciting than ever. You know, we're not looking at Grand Tour winners, you know, winning by six and seven, eight minutes. We're looking at, you know, 30 seconds or a minute, you know. it's It's been uh, it's been fun to watch, and yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, John, can you stop clicking that pen, mate, or I'm going to drive over your joint and shove it. <laughs> up who's, who's, got, who's got kids over there? Uh, I've, got I've got three grandkids living here at the moment. My, my daughter and her husband have, uh, have just uh, um, Airbnb'd their house for the summer holidays and then moved in with us. So That's awesome. Uh, That's it is awesome. awesome. It's great, yeah. <laughs> um, I've only got a couple of other questions I want to ask you, Tyler, about um, the process of writing the book. So where did that all come about? Because... It is. I don't read a lot of books, but it was one of the books I just could not put down. Like it was an unbelievable read. Oh man! Um, I mean, uh, Dan Coyle, the co co-author, Dan Coyle, who's um, you know, without him, I don't know if I ever would have got through it. Or um, I felt very lucky to have a such a, a great person, a good good friend, and you know, a great writer helping me out. You know, Dan knew the sport really well at that time. He'd spent a year over in Girona, Spain, kind of covering the sport a few years prior. Um, so he was the guy, he was the man. And so had, had it not been Dan, I don't know if I would have made it happen, but um, it was a process. It took almost two and a half years. To, and uh, I think we did like 65 different interviews and, you know, sometimes, you know, hours at a time. Um, we traveled to France together to go kind of, and let's see, yeah, France and Spain together to go kind of look at some of the, some of the, you know, places where some of the sinister stuff happened. And yeah, it was a big process and really cathartic for me. Um, yeah. I mean, Dan told me, you know, at, by the end, like at the beginning, the, the words were just like slowly creeping out of my mouth and it was very deliberate, deliberate kind of responses to his question and by the end it was just kind of like flowing out of me just you know without any um 
without any resistance. And uh, yeah, it was a process. It was a process. I mean, it wasn't the, my, the favorite thing I've ever done in my life. You know, it was hard. It was hard to kind of look in the mirror and accept accept what you did. And, you know, put and then put it on paper. Put it on paper. But but I'm you know I'm not that proud of like what's in the book. But I'm proud of what I'm doing. Of writing it. Of writing it. Mm. And, and you know, coming clean and. Yeah, I'm not that proud of all, everything I did. That's for sure. What What was the feeling just before the book was launched? Like, were you shitting yourself? Were you excited? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pain. I don't. I don't. I, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was pretty. I was nervous, but I was a little bit almost numb at that point, just because I had just like given everything to get that completed, and then. I mean, at that point, it's like okay, you know, it's going to go to press, and people are going to read it. They're going to like it, love it, hate it or whatever. But, you know, but I knew like, hey, there's the truth. And like, if, but here we here you go. Like, I don't, I honestly didn't care if only 10 people read it, you know, mm. there, there it is. If you want to hear the story, you can go read it in that book. You know, what was the, what was got, the reaction? You know, I got, yeah. I got off my chest and it, it felt really good. It was cathartic. What was the reaction like? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it's a little bit overwhelming, I'd say. Yeah, overwhelming. Yeah, with, I mean, all sorts of feedback. And um, yeah, you know, you know, straight away, there was a lot of forgiveness, like straight away. You know, I went from like my name being black to like a ton of forgiveness. And it was almost too much right at, initially, I'd say. It was, um, it was a, I, don't know if, I don't know if that even makes sense, but it was just... Yeah. A real like, was pendu that just, pendulum swing. I almost couldn't even deal with it, really. So Was that so many people just going, I'm so sorry you had to go through that and we had no idea to what level all that sort of stuff? Yeah, it was almost like, yeah, they all of a sudden they understood. Like, you know, before mm. that, they, they only knew a few things that, and like, this guy's a cheater and that's it. You know, he's a he's an asshole. But, mm. you know, and then, then they read the book and they kind of understand, like, oh, I can see how this happened. Oh, I can see how this could have happened to me. Or I can see how this could have happened to my son or daughter. Um, mm. So, yeah, they, yeah, there was a lot of forgiveness. And, um, yeah, and there was just, yeah, a lot of kind of attention around it. And I wasn't really expecting any of that, really. I always wanted to uh, to ask the question, uh, and uh, when the story first came out about the, the in the the restaurant in Aspen when uh, yeah. uh, Lance has confronted you. Obviously, the I think the the, the birds in the restaurant rang him up and said, "Hey, Tyler's in yeah. here," and so he came yeah. up to break. So there was your version, there was uh, Lance's version, and then there was uh, you know, a few things in between her version. But so t just take us through because it's an interesting story. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's at this point it's water under the bridge. Just you know, it's kind of now it's a at the time it was kind of a, a a serious story. You know, for some time after a serious story, but now it's kind of a good a good laugh. But you know, that was when that federal investigation was going on, and you know there was a lot at stake. And I think you know um, Lance wasn't that pleased with me and. Uh, there I was eating in one of his favorite restaurants in Aspen, not, not knowingly. And yeah, I got up to uh, excuse myself from the dinner table to go use the restroom. And I had to kind of walk through this like dimly lit, lit bar area. And, um, and when I was coming back, you know, a kind of a hand came out of nowhere to kind of stop me in my tracks. And 
you know, I look over to my, I think it was to my right and, and there's Lance, there's Lance, you know, nostrils like flaring and, you know, he was, he was pissed. He was pissed, but, but yeah, you know, he said we had some, you know, we had some words, we had some words and, you know, it sounded like he. Uh, it sounded like he actually uh, went a bit ballistic, and you, you yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. Yeah, caught un unawares. I mean, I, from from reading about it later, I sort of yeah. felt that you were disappointed. You actually weren't prepared for it, and we, we could have probably handled it a little bit different. Uh, me or him? You. Oh, I think I handled it well. I mean, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. you know, I, I wish I had somebody by my side. You know, he had his little posse of people around him. You know, I was all by myself. I wish I had somebody next to me who could have at least listened and like, you know, backed me up with what I had heard, you know, but it was, it was my, yeah. my word versus his, but you know, yeah, yeah. he's, he threatened me. I think, I mean, I, I don't know, we can ask him, but you know, I think he, he regrets that decision he made there that night, yeah. but, but we can ask him if you want or, but, but <laughs> yeah. I, it's all, we'll it's, get him on again, next it's all, it's all water under the bridge, you know, let's not forget yeah. it was real, that was a crazy time, you mm. know, you can't say you know what it's like to be in his shoes and there was a lot at stake and you know he was still you know grasping to kind of hold on so you know sometimes desperate you know desperate what's the what's the quote there like desperate times during, different places <laughs> yeah there you go there you go so i think it was one of those times i don't think he you know I don't think he do you think what did you think when, when uh Lance decided to make his comeback? Uh what do you think? Uh, Ooh, you know? Um I was surprised. Yeah, I mean I you know, he had won how many tours? You know, seven tours. So seven, I, I, yeah. yeah, I didn't think it was you know, necessary to come back, but you know, did it completely surprise me? No, no, you know. He uh yeah. I mean, Lance is Lance. Yeah. I mean, he'd love to win. I think he probably missed winning. I think he probably missed, you know, being on top. And I think, um, I think he was kind of following the, you know, previous tours when he was retired and thought, you know, I'm, I can still compete at that level. So he went for it, but, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was unnecessary, but you know, that's, you know, hindsight's 2020, 20, I guess, you know, yeah. looking back, but, but yeah. Um, you were talking earlier, Tyler, about um, a, a big passion, you know, to push the kids and to help the next generation. Um, yeah. What are the key, key messages that you pass on from your journey when you are talking to these guys? Oh, man. Well, be, a, like, be truthful and honest, you know. Um, listen, to your, listen to your gut, listen to your heart, right? Um, find, like, good mentors advisors and you know listen to them you know you know get a good coach you can really trust um yeah things like that you know be able to look in the mirror every day and like and believe in what you're doing and believe it what you're doing is you know you know morally right and uh yeah i mean i definitely struggle with that you know i what maybe it wasn't in the mirror every morning but it was definitely you know, in the middle of the night, I was like looking at the ceiling thinking, you know, this is, you know, this is crazy what we're doing. But, mm. you know, at the time it was like, oh, this is just part of the sport. So this is what I have to do. And and do you feel like the sport has really progressed now? Because there was a big issue, particularly when the land stuff was coming out. People couldn't separate the years. They couldn't say, oh, well, that happened in sort of 2005 and prior. 
Yeah. They, they associate it to current cycling. Do you feel that they've moved on? Yeah, I think they've moved on a lot. Um, you know, certainly I know it's not 100% clean because they're still, you know, I see they're still catching riders once in a while, you know. Um, but there's, you know, the testing's gotten a lot better. You know, the edu you know, education has gotten a lot better. I think people are now, you know, coming into the, the world tour level, you know, knowing that this is something they, they have to watch out for, you know, and they've kind of prepared, you know, mentally for that, you know, ahead of time, you know, for a lot of, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody else, but I was, you know, pretty, pretty surprised when it happened with me. And um, I think riders these days kind of know what to know what to, you know, some of the pitfalls to look out for, you know, you, you they, touched yeah. on it. Oh yeah. And the anti-doping controls are that much better. The bio, biological passport although it's not perfect they say you know it's you know it's helping it's heading in the right direction but you know we still need to focus on anti-doping we can't forget what happened in the past you know we can't forget and we gotta uh you know if we do you know if we put our head in the sand it's gonna happen again so we gotta stay on top of it you know mm. keep the riders educated and, and, and keep yeah anyways go ahead there johnny I'm just saying, you, you, you touched on it earlier on, on uh, how amazing the, the Grand Tours were this year, the fact that uh, they yeah. were able to even have them uh, at all. And yeah. you also mentioned how for a long while you you uh, didn't want to get into the Lycra. Neither did I, oh, yeah. but that's because I was over 100 kilos. That's why I didn't want to get into the Lycra. But now that I've got the weight back down, I'm, like, I'm good. But just just touching on, on this year, 2020, it's been uh, – the, the all three Grand Tours were, were staggering – but the beauty of it, that these amazing youngsters that are coming in over the last uh, 12 to 18 months must be uh, exciting for you to watch as well. Yeah, that's great. You're like, who's this kid? And the next thing you know, you know, they're winning a big race. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun to, to watch. You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of uh, unknown, you know. And I think uh, there were some years there where we, everybody could kind of see what was going to happen. It was, and it was getting maybe a little bit boring, you know. I thought all three Grand Tours this year was were super exciting, and you know, not I, I wasn't able to watch every stage, but I, you know, I would at least follow it, you know, online and read about it, and yeah, so exciting, and yeah, I think the sport is a lot to be you know excited about in the future. I mean, we have a lot of young young talent, just you know, and who knows? And look, we have some Americans coming up, coming up in the ranks who are super talented, and you know, I'm really excited about them and. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's fun to be a fan. It's fun to be a fan. I don't think I've ever been this much of a fan. Um, uh, yeah, when I was younger, I was more focused on like ski racing. We've said a lot on this show. 2020's shown um, people being a lot more comfortable riders and staff with their vulnerabilities. You know, we've seen a lot of more emotion in interviews and so forth. You you open yeah. up your vulnerability more than anyone probably in the sport with what you went through. Um, how important is that process, particularly for even sports directors to, to show their vulnerabilities to riders and, and form that chemistry? I think it's important. I mean, we're all human, right? We all go through our ups and downs and, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe if you're, a, you know, a bike racer racing at the world tour, maybe you're struggling at home or something, you know, with your girlfriend or wife, or maybe there's, you know, you're having problems with your, uh, any anything maybe you're you know all sorts of riders go through depression either situation or situational or clinical depression um 
Yeah, it's important to be open. And I think it brings everybody a little bit closer. Um, when people when people are really rigid and, and closed off like that, it kind of it creates kind of a negative kind of a sterile and negative environment, I would say, and uh, not very warm and not very, you know, comforting. You know, it's hard. You're you're with your team for uh, as you guys know, you're you know, you're you're on the road for such a big chunk of the year, you know, with these riders and staff members. And, you know, it's important to be, you know, to open up and, and just, and be your, be your real self. Good stuff. Ify, yeah. do you want to uh, finish off with any other questions? Only to say, uh, thanks heaps, Tyler, for coming on. I've really enjoyed listening to your story and your honesty. Uh, and it's, uh, it's what's coming out more and more th this year in cycling, uh, as you just touched on, Dan. Some of the interviews we've had with some of the riders and staff have been quite refreshing and uh, not the old cliches that we used to get. So it, it, it's uh, a new world. But uh, thanks heaps, mate. It's been wonderful to, uh, to have a chat and, uh, uh, and to listen to your yarns. Oh, hey, it's been an honor to be on your podcast. You guys are a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work. And yeah, I look forward to watching your shows in the future. No, we, we really I'm appreciate it, Tyler. And uh, as we said, mate, uh, you know, the fact that you've been so forthright with your honesty and it, it has definitely had a, a really good effect on the sport because um, unless you're willing to open up and discuss things that are difficult at times, you know, that's how you progress forward. And, and learn from a lot of that stuff and it's guys like you that, that put it out there that has had a huge difference and um the fact that you're willing to share your story on the detour podcast means a lot and i'm sure the the listeners will appreciate it and all the best with uh, your next chapter mate oh great yeah. hey thanks dan and thanks johnny nice to meet you guys and uh, yeah, yeah you too yeah keep up the great work